if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect, and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect, and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, today's guest is James Shaw. James has been on before. He's been a previous guest. He's been invited back and has got an interesting background. He actually started off as a passional surfer and martial arts student. And I think coming in, everyone comes from different backgrounds to do with horses, but his background has given him a unique inside look at certain parts of riding that I think is well it's very unique to James and I think it's certainly helped out quite a few riders and if you don't know about James go back have a listen to his previous podcast which is on horsechats.com slash James Shaw or just go to horsechats.com search for James. Now how are you today James? I'm great thank you how are you? Oh look wonderful wonderful and and we're going to talk today about 10 ways that ride from with him is a new paradigm in riding. Is that that correct? That's what we're looking at? Why this particular subject, James? Well, for me, I think that pointing it, it's so easy to see the differences in all disciplines of riding. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I, I think that when we talk about the new paradigm, it's actually, there are so many things that are different because we're not using force Against okay. force? Yes, yes. Yep, yep. I'm interested to see why this, because your perspective, it's certainly interesting, and I know it's helped quite a lot of riders, particularly riders that have had problem with that, you know, rider-horse communication. So keep going, James. I'm very interested. Well, I think because we can all use words are free, mm-hmm. we, can all, we can all use the words connected, and soft and at one with, you know, um, cent- oh, I said centered. We, we all use these words that still describe the old paradigm. It's meaning that I use strength and leverage um, from on top of the horse to get it to yield or get it to submit or get it to do what I want it to do. And so I think these 10 things that I came with came up with are beyond just the the words a ride describing how we ride it it's yeah. actually the fundamentals okay so it will start off so if we focus on the horse the horse does not have to focus on us so a new paradigm shifts the focus within you tell me if i've got this right and then when the rider focuses inward the horse focuses on the rider so then we've got the horse's full attention can you just explain that a little bit more absolutely um i i believe i've i observe um riders thinking about their horse yep thinking about what their horse is doing um feeling movement in the horse that they believe 
comes from the horse and not their own imbalances. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this, this inward focus is actually getting into an entire, di- entirely different part of the rider's brain, um, a much deeper part, e- even beyond left, right. It gets into to a much, a much quieter part of the, the mind where we can observe things happening and not be attached to them. So this inward focus, um, this stillness that it creates through an expanded awareness of ourselves, the horses just know that. They, mm-hmm. they attach to that as opposed to me um, thinking about the horse, focusing on the horse, focusing on all these little details in the horse that are, in in my vision, um, caused by the rider to begin with. Little imbalances, tensions, uh, shortness in their respiration rate, um, missteps that, that are the horse actually stepping under the rider's weight. So all of these things can, can still be apparent or still be present when we're focusing on the horse mm-hmm. because we can't. We, we, as humans, we can't afford to focus on the horse and ourselves at the same time. Yep. So it's this this inward focus that gives us a much greater awareness of ourselves, a much greater um, uh, sense of feel. Like we get we get under feeling, we get beyond just feeling with the skin and our you know our hair that covers our skin. We get underneath feeling through the fascia and muscle, and we get to a place that we feel pressure in our bones, and we move the bones, and that and that comes from a much deeper, um, quieter spot in the human mind. Okay, okay. So the horse is constantly balancing the rider, not the rider balancing the horse. Is that right? Yeah, that's one of the one of the the principles uh, of this new paradigm and I've had the great pleasure and opportunity to work with a a lot of world-class riders and they talk about you know balancing the horse into corners and into techniques into certain maneuvers and and I understand that um but they're, they're, if, if they're using strength and leverage from above the horse, uh, we're not aware of our own subtle imbalances, which are not subtle to the horse. So that, again, the, the horse balancing the rider is everywhere we are. Like most riders, we keep our balance mm-hmm. very well, but that doesn't mean we are balanced. Yes. There's a difference in this internal work between being balanced and not being balanced. And and for, for this one, I'm I'm really talking about physical balance, where most most riders feel at best in pounds. You know, our scale weighs pounds, if you will. Yep. And horses feel in ounces and grains and grams of of weight. So we can, for instance, it, it I, I put it this way: I, I could be off by a couple of pounds and barely feel it, 
you know, on my sit mm. bone. I could have a few ounces more weight in one sit bone than the other one and not feel it. A horse would feel ounces of shifts of weight. So uh, they're, they're so much more sensitive and aware of these weight shifts, especially when we are using, when, when we are sitting on them, basically. So I think as, as much as physics, it's provable in physics, um, the, the, the mental idea that, that I'm going to balance my horse just creates all these blocks and, and, and it kind of locks me into the old paradigm of thinking that I need to balance the horse to come into, uh, you know, a transition when the fact is that they'll be quite balanced as soon as I'm balanced within myself, both. And, you know, we can think about it physically, mentally, emotionally, you know, because uh, balance is just one of those words you can apply to all three of those states. Okay. And so, you know, I'm talking initially physically because that's the, the loudest language that the or the loudest voice the horse hears is our physical balance. And it's probably where we're the most hard of hearing mm, mm, is mm. in our physical body. Yeah, yeah. And something you said before, you know, about the horse stepping under the rider. You know, you see that, but, you know, I suppose we've just got to connect riding from within to that principle that you said where the horse is constantly balancing the rider, not vice versa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I was thinking the next one, and, you know, if you've got something to say in between, let me know, because I think this is an important message for people to understand. The thinking and emotion disconnect the rider from the horse, regardless whether that emotion or thought's positive or negative. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Sure. I've been observing and doing a lot of work with the mind, the mental and the emotional part of um, uh, the psyche, I guess it will, or or, or, you, or how the how the brain actually works, and and where where we're coming from when we have a thought about the horse, or we have an emotion about the horse, and and I think because horses don't think they they if we could measure the brain waves, they'd be a completely different. Um, vibration if you will and so when i'm thinking about the horse or i'm having an emotion i'm quite sure uh the horse does not understand what that means mm -hmm. meaning if i'm if i i have a friend who once told me he's a, an incredible equine dentist and he rarely if ever uses any sedatives uh for the horse he's just that kind of guy is incredibly calm uh and horses just kind of relax and melt into him but he had told me once that uh way, way early on back in the late 90s he said that he's got to remove any anxiety anger frustration fear or uh overt desire before he approaches the horse, before he ever gets onto the property, or the horses all read that energy and they don't want to be with him, mm -hmm. right? They want, mm -hmm. they don't want to surrender to him, if you will. Yep. So uh, having that uh, knowing 
that emotion that when we, and, and we do it in meditation, you know, all of this, most of the stuff we've been talking about so far is my experience through some really deep meditation. And I don't mean with, you know, music and the gong playing. And although that's all, all that's all very nice. I mean, movement meditation where I, where I'm staying focused inward because my feeling and, and sensitivity uh, go off the chart when, when I'm in this meditative uh, movement, meditative state. When I start thinking, even if it's a nice thought, like, oh, I love this movement, um, that separates me out from myself in, in my mind. Um, or if I have an emotion where I'm, uh, and like I said, either joyful or frustration or anger or anxiety or any of those, I immediately separate out from this observer, this presence uh, in my mind to my thinking mind mm-hmm. and know that my thinking mind and it's my experience and I would love to be able to scientifically test it in the future but I know that if I'm thinking or I'm having an emotion it sets my horse into this kind of fight and flight you know, and I yeah. look at them both, not fight or I look, I purposely say fight, flight and fight because it's the same disconnection. They just decide on which they're going to do. So it separates me out kind of in, in my body. And I, I would say electrically in my body, you know, that this heart resonance that happens in this deeper spot. Yep. Yep this deeper state of awareness where even an emotion of joy, I use this analogy. If someone has just achieved and just done the greatest canter transition of their life and they're thrilled about it and they're experiencing, you know, they're just thrilled. They are in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're two strides into the canter and you cannot be present if you're experiencing an emotion of joy and thinking about or feeling what happened two strides ago. Mm-hmm. So it's at that level. It's a really deep level that we want to start to um, just be present in each moment, each movement, w- without the the judgment that comes from being in that thinking mind or in the emotional body, if you will. Yep, yep, yep. I think that you've explained that fairly well and, the you know, the comparison to meditation. The next mm. one is about horses moving into open space rather than relying on the yield to pressure. Talk about that, you know, about horses wanting to move to that open space. Yeah, I experienced that um, when I first started working with horses and it, it was more in a a healing capacity because mm-hmm. that's part of my background is, is a, you know, a, a healing application of these internal martial arts. And I realized that if I open myself up and, and for, for us and right from within, there's 10 areas in the body that we talk about opening mm-hmm. as opposed to holding closed. They're called the, the, I, I just refer to them as the 10 10 gates 
G-A-T-E-S, the 10 gates. And when I open there, I create space in my body, um, both, both figuratively and literally. Um, when I change the curves in my spine, it, it creates space in my thoracic cavity. It creates space in my visceral gut. Um, so th- this opening the space and the horses literally uh, move into that. They move into my hands. Their force, which is created when they push into the earth and carry through their skeleton and we receive into our body through our sits bones, that force travels up the spine and it moves into these areas uh, when they are open. As opposed to if I use strength and leverage, which means I have to create uh, through tension, I have to create basically fulcrums that I can lever my upper body against or lever my arm against or my wrist or my leg. Um, horses feel that tension and they, they move away from it. And when I say move away, that could just mean that they don't move into it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not yeah. running away. So uh, it's just creating a space for them to move into as opposed to this idea of that they'll yield to pressure or they'll release to pressure because I, and you know, it's the same in in external martial art uh, compared to internal martial art. Uh, Yield to pressure is another word for force against force. And if, if the amount of force you use, use fails, then you either increase the force until it until it they yield to it or you use more leverage which increases the force until they yield to it and they they do yield they're quite they're quite smart we have a lot of uh tack and and certain things that we do that increase our force again we don't have to use that much force uh, but they still yield to it and it creates a separation yeah. so that we haven't truly received their power into our body through our skeleton so that then we can move our skeleton to move their skeleton and they move because they feel themselves inside of us. Mm-hmm. And I've just always thought, you know, yield to pressure. Uh, there's so many ways to say it that sound nice and sound soft and beautiful and and quite caring but when it comes down to it it's force against force so yes this yields pressure they'll move into it and it's proven every time uh, i have a lesson or teach a clinic or work on horses my own self i feel that i open up a space you know i open the front and back of my heart and uh, I open my uh, belly and my lower back and I see the breath, the horse's uh, abdomen expands back into their visceral gut and, and they move into that area as opposed to holding that tension till it releases. Yeah. So again, these principles work at, at kind of every level, that physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, if you will. We could look at them from all these different angles. And I like to kind of 
stick with the physical to start. Otherwise, we get into a lot of nice words and um, it doesn't all, always have a, a, a profound physical uh, reality to it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I'm interested in thinking about the physical because in Ride From Within, we ride up first, not forward first. So just explain that. I mean, obviously, you don't want the horse to rear, but just explain more about riding up first, not forward first. Yes. So along the lines of creating a space to, for the horse to move into, mm-hmm. if we think about any, any, it's actually any gay, but if we think about trot, just because it's kind of in the middle, most riders, when the horse goes into trot, that power that's created by the horse uh, enters the rider's pelvis and moves the pelvis. It doesn't travel up through the lower back, up through the lumbar spine. It hits a block there because we, we all, just the way we move on the ground and how we stand on the ground, we have this innate block at our lumbar spine. So the, the power comes up through the sit bone. It fills the pelvis and then the center moves forward with the horse. So the rider's center moves forward. Their upper body will get left back a little bit. And then, you know, there's all, we, we engage our core. We try to hold ourselves over the top. This is an example of forward first, that the pelvis actually moves forward as opposed to up. And what happens in the horse's spine is that the spine doesn't really lift. It lifts just slightly through the engagement of the abdominal muscles of the horse. And then the horse moves forward. And it's why most training would teach the horse to move forward off the leg, right? Forward Mm. off the leg. Every discipline says it a little differently but they want them to move forward. And then inevitably, we've got to uh, get them onto the bit, get them soft, get them round. Um, and But the first thing we do is to get them to go forward. And when I say forward, I mean forward through the spine, like forward movement of the spine, as opposed to lifting the spine. So with this idea of, creating an open space for them to move into. We do it by sitting in such a way that it opens the curve of the lumbar spine slightly, which changes the angle of the sacrum and the pelvis so that that first push that comes up when the horse pushes into the earth the earth pushes back, that force travels through the skeleton of the horse, and it actually lifts into our sit bone. That force travels beyond our lower thoracic up into our, sorry, our lower lumbar up into our lower thoracic. And ultimately, we, we want to feel it at the base of our skull. So that's the upward. It's the actual force created by the horse pushing into the earth that travels up our spine. So we actually move up before the body moves forward. And we de- we demonstrate it, and it's quite e- not easily achieved, but we can feel it on the ground. We can do it on the ground um, where we have somebody push us from behind. And if we 
don't open these areas in our back, our hips go forward, our upper body gets left behind, then our foot slams onto the ground and we come over, our body balances over our foot after, you know, after we've taken a step. So none of these things are just my ideas. I've spent the last, I don't know, 25 years developing the applications and the practices on the ground so we can feel it on the ground first and then we apply it in the saddle and it's absolutely fantastic when you see it in the saddle Mm -hmm. because horses that are you know they from the outside they're very strong from the outside they look that well they are held their backs are held um and in, in, I see it as protecting themselves from the weight of the rider because they, they haven't joined centers, literally joined centers with the rider. So this up first is more about the energy, the, the force that's created by the horse that we're receiving and redirecting. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot off the press notification. That is that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Yeah, I think your whole your whole explanation there, it's great reflection of you because it shows your knowledge of the human anatomy and what really happens and you've broken it down and explained it so well you know a simple little comment like we ride up first not forward first but you've really gone into a lot of depth to explain that so um you know that's the sort of thing that we need to listen to but go back over a few times to make sure that we've got it all yes and I, I believe we have to experience the difference. Yes. We, we have to go beyond. We don't have to, but um, once we experience it, then we can have a knowing of it as opposed to a belief of it. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm, I'm, I don't want people to believe it. I want them to feel it and know it. And the, the most beautiful thing is the moment we change, and this is after working with thousands of riders with, with their own, with, you know, lifetime of experiences. Um, when they make the change to receive this force up, you can just see their face change. Mm-hmm. And they'll say things like, my horse is, ne- this horse never can move like that. This horse can't do that transition because it's not balanced enough, but it just did. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, I, I love this work and I really uh, go to great lengths to be able to explain it in layman's terms, but then be able to give the science behind it and give the, the experience of it 
so that we can know it. It's by no means easy. But once we know that what's capable and what's possible, then, then it becomes quite easy because our passion around it and the fact that our horse moves completely different and they seem to be um, more relaxed, more powerful, uh, more wanting to connect with us um, like they show up yep. instead of being anyway. And thank you. I'm, I'm uh, it is my passion to be able to um, not only explain it, but, but teach it in a way that's accessible to everybody, not just Olympic level riders or, you know, mm. um, world-class riders, but, but those of us who just ride for fun and want that connection mm-hmm. uh, with these amazing animals. Yeah. Tell us about the CETA. It's the third dimensional movement of the pelvis, you know, left, right, the distance, oh. speed, turning towards, yeah, rising, dropping seat bones. I know that it's radically different from what is normally taught. Yeah. So the, the human pelvis, um, which when I talk about the seat, I have to talk about the bones of the okay, seat. I know, I know, because you you know them, yeah. And this is what's so good about chatting to you, James, is that you just know them so well, and you know, you know, you've got that depth of knowledge that we're really looking for. So appreciate that, yeah. Oh, great. So, so when I say the seat, I'm talking about basically the pelvis, the sacrum, mm-hmm. the lower lumbar and the femur bones, so our thigh bones, thigh bones, pelvis, sacrum, and lower back. They, they, they are the center, and they are our seat. And But all, only if we first look at, I'm going to receive and redirect force as opposed to be on top of it, right? Sit above it and manage it. So it, it's when, when we receive this force into a, from the horse and this is there are two forces we deal with gravity and the horse mm-hmm. so when we, when we receive uh force from well we'll, we'll start with gravity uh, the the human pelvis the shape of the pelvis and its uh inner workings with the three other bones sacrum lumbar and and femurs uh they 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 say that it direct the shape of the bones direct force in three different directions, and they refer to to them as Euclidean planes of force. Not not that fascinating, you know, some old Greek guy mathematician. <laughs> but what I immediately recognized when I was researching and came came across this Euclidean planes of force is that. They, those planes of force create three movements that, or relate to three direct movements in the human body and especially in the rider's body. And the first two, which everybody gets and can access, are the rise and fall of each sit bone. You know, the sit bones rise and fall, and usually it's based on some movement in maybe not the lower back, but the middle back. And then the the balancing front to back on the sit bones, which kind of creates a rocking on the sit bones themselves, which are shaped like little rockers, if you will. But this third movement is a rotation around a vertical axis somewhere on the sacrum 
in front of the sacrum that allows the rotation, a vertical uh, rotation. So this third movement I discovered um, for myself years ago in England in a class I was teaching. And when I did this, this it's a Tai Chi exercise where, where you train yourself to be able to step out to the side from a from your uh, stance with your feet together without leaning in your upper body, meaning that all the movement has to come through the center. All the weight from one leg is transferred to the other leg without seeing anything on the outside. And, and therefore, nobody could feel the shift of weight on the inside. So in the internal martial arts or where they practice push hands, um, you can shift the weight and your opponent doesn't know it. So you therefore have the advantage, especially if his weight is part of your weight. So this third movement, um, which I would initially call the belly button, because when you move on the axis of the sacrum, the vertical axis, the center of your, your body, your belly button, if you will, moves left to right when you turn it. It's that movement that I have never found anybody teaching it in the saddle and and it just has these amazing ramifications it allows the horse's pelvis on a on a horizontal plane to move the same way so it starts to free up anatomically it starts to free up the iliosacral joint mm -hmm. and the sacrum of the horse and they start to engage their their haunches if you will to use that old term uh but the pivot point is somewhere in the iliosacral joint of the horse, kind of in line with the femur joints of the horse. So basically, instead of just bending their leg and getting the foot to step farther forward and sitting, you know, this classic idea of, of the horse sitting in the hind end, most of that sitting comes from the lumbar sacral, lumbar thoracic area in the horse's back which allows for a very, very rigid and held sacrum, lumbar sacral area in the joint. So this third movement in the rider frees that up immediately in the horse. And so for the past, I think, seven years since I kind of stumbled upon it, I, I've started pulling, really breaking it down into seat aids. When, when I first started this journey with riders, I was exposed to a lot of high-level European dressage teaching and riders, and, and they would all say, the seat is everything. The seat is everything. But beyond that, I, I didn't hear much teaching around the seat. It was, you know, relax, seat, sit deep. Um, most of the teaching came, it sounded to me like leg and rain, you know, and various techniques of leg and rein and combinations thereof, but not much from the center. And having come out of this internal martial arts world where they say everything comes from the center, yeah. I, I, it was just a little bit of gray area in my mind. You know, that inquisitive part of my mind. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't want to... Uh, these are lovely people that, you know, would, would freely give me these ideas and show me this stuff. Uh, I mean, these 
high level uh, trainers. So I didn't want to say, well, what does that mean? But I, I did think it. So I didn't see any seed aids. And this, this third movement, the turning of the belly button, if you turn it at all, it changes how the horse engages, engages its haunches. Mm -hmm. And for a human being, when we do this, it immediately, when we, when we get it correct, right? When we practice it and we're diligent about it and we we're open-minded and we really embrace it, it immediately started to relieve any back pain that I had because the force of gravity and the force of me pushing into the earth quit getting stuck in my lower back and it flowed through my sacrum into my pelvis, into my femurs, down into the ground. So it freed up my back pain. It also took the pressures off my knees. And I had knee problems forever and I had back problems for eight years. And when I found this third movement and applied it and learned how to apply it, the pressure came out of my lower back and my knees and my knees and back were just fine. I think it happens the same way in the horse. We, we don't hear much lumbar problems in the horse because it's such a massive bone structure, but we always hear about hock and stifle issues, which to me are equivalent to my knee problems. So this third movement, this turning of the pelvis on the vertical axis of the sacrum, uh, we start to realize that the distance, now I'm going to say belly button because I think everybody has one. And for the most part, unless we've had some horrible accident, our belly button is still in the center of our body, mm -hmm. just above the iliac crest, about an inch above the iliac crest. So it moves left, right when you move your pelvis left, right. Yep. So the distance we move left, right off the center line determines uh, or influences how far the hind foot, each hind foot steps up and forward. Yeah, so instead of using the leg and leverage to get the hind foot to, first to get the leg to bend and then to get the hind foot to step up farther, um, this turning of the pelvis, the distance determines how far they step up. The speed at which we move from left to right, which we engage, determines the amount of push or the power that's created. So that that's the first seed aid. Well, the first seed aid was just engaging this left-right movement. The second was knowing that the distance I turn it at walk, trot, sitting or rising, and canter is different. So that, that becomes an aid to my mind if it's different in every gait. Same movement, but varying degrees, that's an aid. The speed at which I, I go left-right determines the power how much power I'm going to get in that gate. So I can bring the power up in the gate, say walk, before I have to transition to trot so that I'm not dealing with the change of gate, the change of power in the instant of transition. I've actually asked the power to come up first and it's easier to sit. The other thing that I find quite fascinating, and it's one of the reasons I'm, I'm still so engaged with this work is that when we use the the bones the pelvis and the sacrum in this manner 
I believe the sacrum actually spirals the force out and up, out of the sacrum, up the spine, as opposed to if I don't have this third movement, the force comes out my back in a wave. Two waves just out of sync that follow each other up my spine. When I turn my pelvis, uh, it turns these two waves of force into spirals, which never oppose each other. It's kind of like, if you will, a, a double helix of force that spirals up the spine as opposed to two waves following each other. And if those waves come out of sync a little bit or out of time, I get, well, basically everyone will, will understand. I get a very hard bouncy trot, mm -hmm. yep. but this spiral, this spiral softens the force without diminishing it. So it's quite fascinating. Uh, to explore this third movement of time and distance. And beyond that, if I'm turning my pelvis left, right, I can either turn towards the rising sit bones, which means that horses, if my left sit bone is rising with the force created by the left hind pushing into the ground, that's what I'm talking about, turning to the rising sit bone. It helps lift the back even more of the horse, this idea of up first. Yep. If I turn to dropping sit bone, it lengthens the spine, right? So it's much more uh, um, conducive to uh, extending the trot or lengthening the trot or the canter or the walk or relaxation. And I truly believe because when we do this, we can see the change in the horse's spine. Mm -hmm. We can see the change in the horse's sacrum and pelvis. And I believe it does the same thing for them. And with time, I'm quite sure we'll prove that this, this turning of the human pelvis will start to alleviate the chronic injuries and, and wearing out of hocks and stifles and spines mm -hmm. in the horse that I believe just like mine, they wore out because I was using my force against the force of, uh, well, the for my own force. And I was using my force against gravity. And gravity, I don't think, is ever lost. Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. As you were doing all that, you know, I'm standing here and imagining and um, moving, I think, those exercises, you know, what you talked about to just get the feeling. Yeah. Right. It's the sort of thing that you can do listening to the chat and um, do while you're off the horse. So um, I think yes. that's good. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about lightness and heaviness. You know, we talk about lightness. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So it, it's one of these old sayings in internal martial art. And if you trace it back, it's a, it goes way back a couple thousand years to Dallas thought. And it says the root of light is heavy. Mm -hmm. It's in the book, uh, The Tao Te Ching. And uh, let's just put it this way. It's an old book. Yeah. Right? Uh, a couple thousand years old. One of the first printed books, uh, along with the treatise of the Yellow Emperor or something. But it says the root of light is heavy. And what it means for us is... Unless the weight of my body gets through my skeleton 
into the horse's skeleton, into the earth. The horse can never, there's a separation, which means the heavier I sit, the more connected I am bone to bone and therefore force to force with the horse, the easier it is for them to lift their back. The, the minute I hold my weight above the horse, it has to go into this hypervigilant balancing of my body above it. And then the weight of my body is not available to the horse in the loading phase of its stride. So again, I, I, I don't want to bore people with the science, but I, I don't want to gloss them over with the nice words like, oh, it means being grounded and centered. No, the weight of my body has to drop through my body, through my sits bones, into the horse's spine via the saddle, and then into the ground through the horse's skeleton to have a perfect loading phase. So then they can use as much muscle to create the push against the earth, which sends that pulse of force back up through their skeleton, back into my body that I can then borrow and, and communicate with. So this, this lightness just means, or the root of light is heavy, is that if gravity, gravity isn't freely and efficiently flowing through both skeletons, it impedes the loading phase of the horse. And then they have to use all much bigger muscle and more muscle to create a push through this tension. And when I really, if I'm gonna be honest, I believe that that's the origin or the reason that we say they must move forward first. Mm, okay, they, yep. They move forward first to be like, because they have to push through that tension that's not available because I'm holding, I'm sitting light, in mm. other words. Mm. The lighter I sit, the less connection I have with the horse. And the, the truth is I'm never lighter to the horse. If I'm 190 pounds, I'm 190 pounds, period. Whether the horse can feel me and know me because it can, we can have this conversation through gravity and force through the skeleton, or my 190 pounds is on top of the horse holding in tension. And I become like a stiff child sitting on their shoulders that's really hard to balance, but I better balance them because you get in trouble if they fall off. <laughs> yeah. So it's the idea. And then um, again, this is kind of new and I, and I ho hope I'll explain it well. But when we have an efficient loading phase, which means balanced, I'm not holding any tension in my muscles when this force flows through my body, through the ball of my foot into the ground, or vice versa in, into the hoof into the ground if we're talking about the horse, then I can have a pushing phase. And right after that pushing phase, there's a moment of effortless movement, which means movement that's not bound up, that's not muscle bound, it's not keeping balance, this balanced movement. So to me, I see it in, in a a, a cycle of three an efficient loading phase means an efficient moving phase which or a pushing phase which means i have a moment of effortless movement and that's 
the cornerstone or one of the one of the results of internal arts work is that we have this effortless movement that just feels incredibly light, mm-hmm. but it's rooted, it's grounded through through the bones. And the horses get the same thing. They get that same moment of effortless movement. And again, uh, scientifically, we'll, we'll, we'll observe it and prove it when, you know, horses' joints aren't wearing out as quickly. Yes. You know, yes. It, it, it all ends up to the detriment of the horse because they hold our tension, they hold their own tension, and then we push them forward because we know we have to get forward to get up. To, and, and it's just, the, you know, um, it's a couple, it's probably a thousand years of that belief. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's, it's a, it's a, um, there's a lot in there, but that's what it means. The, the heavier I sit, the more balanced I am and the heavier I sit, which means I, I don't obstruct gravity flowing through my body. Then the horse lifts his back. Mm. The heavier I am, the, the less impedance to gravity I have in my body, meaning it's available to the horse through my sit bones. Their backs keep lifting. Yeah. And it's a phenomenal thing to observe. What about the weight aid? You know, we talk about the weight aid, the solid, the liquid. How should we think about that? Right. So that, that this heavy and light, mm. the, the seat aids and the heavy and light, um, it's a perfect seg- segue to the the weight aid because again we talk about weight or weight aid and not much is is beyond that I don't hear too much about it. This I, I look at the the you know, weight aid or weight it, it's just gravity, right? It's the force of gravity, uh, and and the force of gravity again it is is meant to move through a human body. Or any vertebrate on the on the planet that has a skeleton, the the bones transfer that force of gravity. Um, it, it's just it's it's known. It's so well known, nobody thinks about it. I think um, so. Your weight can either be held like a solid, like ice, mm-hmm. or it can be a liquid, like water, and it can flow through the skeleton like a liquid, or it can be held as a solid. And if it's a solid, there, there's no life to it, right? I'm just how much I weigh, and then I become very unbalanced, if you will, or I have to keep my balance. So if, if the force isn't flowing through the skeleton like a liquid, then I, if it's more solid and held, which muscle tension does, holding yourself in balance, sitting up straight, keeping your heels down, keeping your shoulders back and down. This all turns gravity. This, this blocks gravity in the skeleton. And then it becomes as if it's a solid or there's no flow to it. And when, it's, when it flows like a liquid, there's life to it. I can feel it. And it's one of the things that I've been exploring and teaching and, and doing a, um, just a lot of really fun research on is when the, when gravity flows through my skeleton as a liquid, um, the entire human body works better. You know, I, I talk about feeling at a skin level or muscle and fascia or in the bones and the marrow. 
And gravity flowing through the skeleton is, is like a hydraulic system. A little bit of pressure goes a long way. And when it's a fluid, it interacts with the horse's force. And all of a sudden, we're having discussions in the saddle that you cannot have when it's a solid. You know, it's the difference between your weight being on your sit bone, on the saddle, or flowing through your sit bone, through the saddle into the horse's spine. So it's just a way to think about um, weight in a different way. And that it starts to, again, I, I like to think it starts to unlock the mind a little bit, remove some of these blocks. I, I tease my my friends and riders and students that uh, the greatest block is between the ears for most of us. It, sure. It's me believing what I think, you know, just because I think it. Mm -hmm. So this liquid weight and 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 then again, it's one of the reasons I'll go back to that first question about observing or coming from a deeper place in the mind where we're, we're listening and observing and the, the place where feel and sensitivity come from and are developed, that part of the brain, you can feel the pressure. You know, you can feel pressure in the bones, not just get distracted by, you know, the skin and the muscle. You can actually feel this force move as a liquid or a solid. And it, it, it is mind-blowing, but that's what the old masters did. They, they didn't get distracted by muscle strength or simple leverage. They received that force and dissipated it into the earth and then used the earth's energy, you know, to, to make movements in horses or opponents. Right. Uh, tell us about bending the horse. You know, if we use about whether we should use our legs and rein aids, as we've been taught traditionally, what, what right. should we do? Right. How can we... How can we do that? Well, once you've achieved this kind of liquid mm. flow of gravity, gravity flowing through your body as a, as a liquid, um, transferred through your sit bones, received up into your skeleton from the horse. So basically, when you receive the power of the horse into and up your spine, you know, in the same way we talked about not just getting blocked at the lower back and the center moving forward or your seat moving forward first. But when that force created by each hind foot pushing into the earth actually travels up your spine, you can then coil your spine. You can turn your sternum or your, your spine, your thoracic spine to the inside and your pelvis to the outside and you can bend the horse's spine by bending your spine and i don't mean bending left right front or back but but an actual coiling of the spine and mm -hmm. as it and and it relates directly to this kind of double helix spiral of energy or force that comes up the back but then by because the the horse and i I don't have the science on this, but it's one of those things that I've experienced over and over and over again. I've observed 
and other people using these techniques. And I've observed it in thousand horses that when I receive this force up my spine and my, my pelvis now being part of my spine because of the sacrum, when I engage my belly button, let's say to the outside of the circle, and my thoracic spine to the inside, or I turn my rib cage to the inside, all of a sudden the withers turn to the inside, the pelvis turns to the outside, and not falling to the outside, it just changes the angle of the withers and the pelvis. And all of a sudden the horse is bent, and I haven't used my leg, I haven't used my reins, Therefore, I haven't blocked any energy with strength and leverage. And they bend amazingly well. The, the, the first time I did this, and it, was, it goes back a long way. It was 1995. I was in Southern California. Um, I had just started to get exposed to riders and got introduced to an Olympic-level rider. And uh, she'd asked me if I could come and have a look at her canter pirouette. And now I, I didn't know what a canter pirouette was at that time, but I thought, ah, sure, okay, I'll, I'll have a look. And then I had to ask her what it was. Um, but I asked her to do this because I could see the force that we're talking about getting stuck in all these areas in her body and creating quite strong but rigid movement in the horse's legs and its spine. and. So basically, she she did reluctantly, not reluctantly, but she tried it, but she was under no illusion that it was going to work at all. Yep. In fact, she had told me, this is the opposite of what mm -hmm. I've been trained and learned to do my entire life. And she was well-trained. Anyways, when she turned her spine, coiled her spine, the horse bent beautifully underneath. And all the tension in the inside leg, all that force and leverage that was showing up in the joints went away. Wow. And uh, she came around out of the canter pirouette with this huge smile. <laughs> and she said, that was the easiest and, and most effortless pirouette I think I've ever done. And I don't know why it works. So this bending, once we've received the energy, and, and this seems quite magical to people. Uh, it feels quite magical, too, if the alternative is strength and leverage from above. Once we've received this force into our spine, which I believe the horse feels itself in our body, right? It, it, it actually feels its force in our spine. And when we use the smallest little muscles up along the spine to turn, to coil the spine, if you will, the horse bends from its spine instead of from pushing the hind one way and pulling, sorry, it's, I don't mean it to sound this crass, but pulling the head the other way to get mm. the head on the, on the right angle, to get the neck to bend, to get the withers maybe to turn. Instead of doing that, I make these simple coilings in my spine and because the horse can feel itself in my spine, it does the same thing in its spine. And it's really quite fascinating when yeah. you when you see put it all together. Uh, when you feel it.
Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering, you know, as riders, we want throughness, you know. So just talk to us about achieving. You know, you've sort of talked to us about um, everything you said, you know, just it, it makes sense. But the throughness, tell us about that and, you know, what we can think about there. Yeah. So when I think about throughness, um, it was explained to me early on, and I can't remember who said it, um, but it, but it made total sense. Uh, and they said the the power that's created when the hind foot pushes into the earth should end up at the pole of the horse. It should move freely through the horse's spine forward. And I totally got that because when we do a movement uh, where we push against the earth in in internal arts. Um, all of that force can end up through the palm of my hand into my partner, or if I'm doing, if it's a healing application, the 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 power that comes up through the earth, my if I if you will, if my rootedness to the earth, yep. the energy that comes up through the earth or comes down through me travels through my skeleton into my hand. So throughness. I always saw this block in the ride, three blocks, the rider's lower back, their middle back, and the base of their skull. And the same blocks in the horse at the lumbar sacral joint, at about the middle thoracic joint, maybe a little the middle of the thoracic spine, and at the pole. So I, I, and so I'd make a study of it, seeing how do these masters, how do the masters, riding masters, deal with see if the force gets stuck or it's there's an impedance there's a block to this three free movement through the skeleton or specifically the horse's spine it, it doesn't mean it doesn't still push on the spine but it doesn't flow through it so i'd see these blocks at the thoracic actually weighting the forehand it would push the energy instead of carrying it up through the neck to the pole that force would push onto the withers and it would be um, pushed into the into the earth through the four, and and so I started to quite inadvertently work with a rider that was stuck in their lower thoracic spine, right? Just their lower rib cage. Let's say that's the lower thoracic, and I knew through my healing work, the internal arts as a, as a healing work, that rounding. Rounding in the lower thoracic dropped. It did a lot of things. So the lower thoracic being like seven through 12 thoracic vertebrae. Rounding in the lower thoracic released a bunch of tension through the nerves of, in the, into the gut, right, of the rider's gut yep. um, or the, the person's gut. And it, it seemed to lower the sternum. Because that those thoracic ribs are attached to the to the breastbone or the sternum. So when she did that, and and it's the sense you get when you hug somebody. When you hug somebody that you love, right? Uh, and I always say, sorry, it's probably getting old. Not creepy Uncle Bob, but somebody that you love. Your heart opens, and when I say your heart opens, the thoracic curve increases. So when the thoracic curve increases, especially the lower half of the thoracic spine, it takes the curve out of the lumbar spine. 
right? So we increase the curve in the lower thoracic. It takes some of the curve out of the lumbar spine. And why that's important is because it changes the angle of the sacrum to a more vertical angle. And then everything frees up in the pelvis and the lower back and the sacrum in the rider and the horse. And it allows that force to move through an arc um, forward through the thoracic spine. And it gets beyond the scapulas of the horse, it gets beyond the withers of the horse and it moves right into the neck. And I would observe um, some really fantastic riders, great teachers of riding in Europe. When they dealt with getting the horse off as four, other than in hand work, they, they would elevate their hands. They would elevate their hands and the reins. And they'd basically ride for a while on a loose rein, but their hands up. And I know that in the human body, if I raise my hands that way, that same area of my thoracic spine tightens. So it creates this block again in my body and the horse's body. And I need a little more energy or a little more force to push through that block. But then I need a little more lift. So again, it became more about the horse than the rider. Mm -hmm. And so basically to lighten the four, create throughness by changing the angles in the thoracic vertebrae of the horse, I changed the angle in my th lower thoracic vertebrae. Yep. And all of a sudden the horse comes up through and light. And words don't do it justice. I'm, mm -hmm. uh, I was mm -hmm. teaching this weekend. Uh, and there was a big Frisian who was upset and full of energy and the rider was fearful and I kind of had to talk her down off the edge and get her to, and the words I would use, forgive me, it's very crass, but I was saying, slouch, you need to slouch because that's what it feels like. And I don't know about Australia or Europe, but slouching is something we never want to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. I get smacked in the back of the head by my <laughs> grandparents. Don't slouch. Mm -hmm. um, but what it does, it means drop the sternum. Yep. Drop yep. the sternum. If you round in the upper thoracic, your weight leans forward. Your upper body goes forward. And we talk about this, This uh, I forget the medical term, but it's not that. Yep. It, it's rounding in the lower back, in the lower thoracic changes the all the angles in the bones and your weight drops through your your pelvis i describe it this way and i'm sorry if it's too it may be a, a little too in depth if you sit up straight and you lift your sternum up the weight of your body gets stuck in the lower back and then through leverage it comes through the outside of the pelvis down the sacrum on the outside and ends up at the back of the bones. When you drop the sternum and the sternum comes down, down and in by rounding the lower thoracic, the weight of your body carried through the skeleton or the force of gravity is carried through the inside of the pelvis yep. and it comes to the center of the system. Okay. So when the rider does this, all of a sudden the horse is through its back and not because we driven it forward and then put it on the bit but because we've gotten out of the way mm. in our body 
release the tension. The horse mirrors the angle in our bones, and all of a sudden they're through light. Yeah. Uh, at four. Wow. I, I think I could um, yeah keep talking to you about this all day, James, and um, I'd love to have you yes. back and just you know just keep chatting. I think um, we'll we'll look forward to chatting with you some now some more but just now if people would like to get in contact with you should they do it through your facebook page through email give you a call all those details will be at the bottom of your page but yeah yeah they could get they can um get in touch with me through my website Mm -hmm. ridefromwithin.com they can email me which would be fantastic at James at ridefromwithin.com. Um, I'll put it out there. They could call me um, on my phone. And, you know, this might not always be the best idea, but my phone number is in the States, 562-712-4749. And I think that's uh, yeah. plus zero one. There, there's uh, uh, just a ton of ways to get a hold of me. Sure. And all those details will be at the bottom of your page as well on uh, horsechats.com. Just search for James Shaw and uh, you'll find those. Yeah. James, thank you. Thank you for all your time and, you, and the depth of information that you give. You know, you've, you've gone right into detail in stacks here. And uh, this is certainly one that we can listen to again and again just to make sure that we've, we've – um, got those details and um hopefully we'll chat to you again sometime soon james i very much look forward to it thank you so much thank you bye-bye you're welcome bye-bye if you've enjoyed this chat then please comment rate and subscribe if you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests then please contact us through horsechats.com and while you're online have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.